The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. This is Naked Plain. M.I.P. With Massimella Matsumal. Mark Thompson. Get woke. Ladies and gentlemen, my guest today is a public health practitioner who currently serves as a distinguished professor at the City University of New York School of Public Health. And his book, his new book, is entitled At What Cost Modern Capitalism and the Future of Health? Dr. Nicholas Freudenberg joins us here on Make It Plain. Dr. Freudenberg, good to see you. Glad you could join us. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to have you. When, when we talk about health in your book, uh, we're not just talking about health care and access to health care per se. We're talking about overall health and, and human health, correct? Exactly. I, the terms I often use are human health and planetary health because we've uh, come to understand how closely the health of our planet uh, connects to the health of human beings. Uh, and the book is about how the changes in capitalism in the last several decades have really endangered human and planetary health in new and significant ways. And I also explore what we can do about that. Well, let's talk about that. First of all, the changes in capitalism, because that's not something, unfortunately, that the average person even keeps up with. You know, we just go about our daily lives and function, especially function in this strange COVID environment. What do, what do you mean when you say the changes in capitalism? Yes. So and the period I'm looking at is kind of post 1970. And I'm particularly interested in the responses, the changes since the 2008 financial crisis. And I'll briefly mention four of the changes that I think have had the most significant impact on health. Uh, and I think first is globalization that is controlled by multinational corporations. And as a result of that, we've seen increasing global uh, transit of uh, unhealthy products, uh, of pathogens, uh, certainly of financial capital, and of desperate migrants trying to find some place uh, where they can make a living. And that increased uh, 
interchange has just made uh, health problems, and the COVID pandemic is a clear example of that, much quicker to spread. I think the second really important change is uh, financialization, the growth of the financial sector, and the uh, increased focus of uh, corporations and investors on quarterly and annual returns. And as a result, they uh, cut wages, uh, cut benefits, uh, skimp on safety, uh, pollute more in order to increase their returns and make their investors happy. And that has really played uh, a, a very devastating role. Two examples that have been in the media lately. One is the uh, private equity, uh, buying up nursing homes and cutting back staff, uh, which played such an important role in their inability to deal with the COVID pandemic because they didn't have enough staff to keep either their staff or their patients safe from COVID infection. Uh, another example that I just read about in the New Yorker is private equity firms uh, buying up uh, trailer parks, buying up uh, mobile home communities, uh, charging for water, charging for electricity, making living conditions much more tenuous and putting people's health at risk. Uh, a third factor is uh, deregulation uh, and that the regulations that came about from the end of World War II through the 60s and early 70s that increased environmental protection, civil rights protection, uh, public health protections have been rolled back by the corporations and the wealthy investors who uh, were afraid that those regulations were jeopardizing their profits. And then the fourth uh, change, I think, has been the increasing control of science and technology, not for the benefit of all humanity, but for the benefit of corporations. And I think we've seen in pharmaceuticals, in food, uh, in big technology, that new discoveries that could have benefited humanity are instead used to benefit the bottom line of corporations. So those are some of the changes uh, in capitalism that I think have endangered health and created a new, much more toxic form of capitalism that we uh, need to take on in this era. That's, that's from analysis Gordon-Burdenberg. In terms of number three, category three, deregulation, doesn't that category kind of help enable the other three? Absolutely. And they're all act in synergy. I could mention a fifth one, the undermining of democracy as a result of decisions like Citizens United, the mm -hmm. increasing role of corporate money, dark money, political action committees, where really now a few hundred corporations and a few hundred uh, billionaires have veto power over public policy. And if they believe tax policy, health policy, environmental policy jeopardizes their profits, they'll use their political influence to derail it or, you know, at best uh, delay it so that the benefits take many, many, many years longer to actually play out. Yeah. So um, you also outline in the book, and this is really an incredible analysis Dr. Freudenberg has done, folks. Um, in terms of our health and all the things that affect our health. First of all, food, um, ultra processed foods, um, those 
are uh, um, things that are for the benefit more so of this corporate capitalism than for the benefit of our human bodies. Yes. And in the book, I look at what I call the six pillars of health, the necessities for life that all humans right. have, food, health care, education, work, uh, transportation and social connections. And in the uh, in my work on food, I've come to believe that ultra processed food and that is the food that's made by the giant food corporations through an industrial process. It's high in fat, salt, sugar, but also really dozens, even hundreds of additives, flavorings, preservatives, stabilizers. And increasingly, the scientific evidence suggests it's that diet, which now comprises more than 50% of the calories we consume here in the United States, is what contributes to diabetes cancer, heart disease, high blood pressure. And the advantage of ultra processed food for the food industry is it enables uh, economies of scale. It enables industrial agriculture where you can grow a few crops, uh, corn, sugar, soy around the world. They've used their political power to get taxpayer subsidies for growing this uh, sickening food. Uh, and, and uh, the diet that the United States has come to depend on, now the primary cause of premature death and preventable illness in the United States, makes the food industry rich, but makes us at risk of illness and early death. And that's an example of how the imperatives of capitalism conflict with the imperatives of well-being. In addition, uh, I talk in the book about how ultra-processed food and the ultra-processed food system also depends on a system of agriculture that contributes significantly to climate change, to carbon emissions and greenhouse gas emissions, another public health crisis. And it's also a food system that depends on paying food workers sub-minimum wages, no benefits, exposing them to unsafe conditions so that the cheap food is affordable to ordinary people, yeah. but at the expense of the food workforce being able to feed themselves and their families. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, and um, so the imperatives for changing this system are health, environment, work, uh, democracy. Uh, and that, I think, is the hopeful news in my book, that by putting these public health crises of the last few decades together, we have the potential to uh, build a movement, uh, a movement of movements that can begin to uh, change the landscape. Yeah. And in terms of our health, how does that also impact the healthcare industry to the cap corporate capitalist benefit as well? So you, you, we're all consuming unhealthy food for which we'll still need even more healthcare. Um, talk to us about that, if you would. And I know you also talk about the, the, the industries, the corporate industry, the corporate world's war um, on, um, uh, uh, on cancer. Yes, yes. And I think uh, it's, it's interesting to look at the similarities and differences between the COVID pandemic and cancer. I chose to write about cancer uh, 
a, a cause of death that has not diminished significantly uh, since President Nixon declared war on cancer more than 50 years ago. Uh, and I describe some of the ways that, again, the changes in capitalism have made it more difficult to address cancer. And I'll mention uh, two of them. One is the exorbitant cost of treatments for cancer. And so now actually a majority of cancer patients uh, become bankrupt, have to declare personal bankruptcy in order to pay for their treatments. And sadly, while there are a few areas where new treatments are effective, it's only about five or 10% of all the cancers that affect Americans that are affected by these new drugs. And so the vast majority don't even benefit from drugs that are so expensive. And I think uh, uh, an, an example that I found particularly horrifying in the research I did is again, uh, it's an example of financialization, private equity firms, you know, the giant uh, firms like Blackstone and the others are buying up oncology practices uh, that were independently owned or owned by uh, hospitals. And they see this as an opportunity to make money. They buy up an oncology practice and then they look at the revenue brought in by the different uh, cancer doctors, the oncologists. And those who bring in less revenue are fired and they encourage the practice to hire people who generate more revenues. That means dumping doctors. It means patients who depend on those doctors have their care disrupted. And any of us who have family members who had cancer, losing your doctor, having to switch doctors, having to switch your insurance company is just so stress-inducing and can compromise the effectiveness of the care you have. Again, an example of how the quest for profits makes it harder for people to stay healthy. Uh, I also write a little bit about the war on cancer, which, as I said, have been uh, declared uh, by every administration uh, since uh, Nixon. But I think uh, wars on cancer are, in fact, a corporate mentality. It's like the moonshot. And uh, you don't declare war on cells. You don't declare war on human biology. You look for a comprehensive, integrated, holistic approach. The advances, the most significant advances in cancer have come about as a result of prevention, as a result of changing people's diets and reducing tobacco smoking. The greatest gains in life expectancy among young Blacks have come from reducing smoking in young Black Americans. A wonderful accomplishment, but a very different approach than uh, investing in new drugs. And we need to find a much better balance between looking at all the carcinogens uh, in our environment and reducing them. But those policies require regulating industry. And so every industry, the chemical industry, the food industry, the alcohol industry, the pesticide industry opposes those regulations. And so we're still faced with a sea of carcinogens and limited progress in controlling cancer. Is there a profit to death from cancer and other illnesses from some of these processed foods? Is there a, a corporate or capitalist profit in people actually not being healthy and surviving some of these things? 
I, I want to be clear. I don't think that people in the food industry, the health insurance industry, sit down and talk about how can we kill people. I don't think that's the story. Although, how could they not know, you know, with all the evidence that's available, that the consequences of their decision contribute to that? But it's not a conspiracy of evil people. It's a system that encourages people to make decisions in their self-interest and not to consider the consequences. And what we need to change are the rules of that political and economic system and the balance between private interest and public interest. So in, in direct answer to your question, yes, of course, people are making money. I, I also learned in the book about, uh, again, these uh, uh, private equity firms buy up life insurance policies of people who uh, either have cancer or at risk of cancer. And they give them, you know, maybe 20,000, 30,000, 50,000 for a uh, 500,000 or a million dollar insurance policy. That puts money in the pocket of the cancer patient who can pay for her treatment. But then if that person dies early, which they're very likely to do, that investor gets the whole life insurance settlement. Uh, only in America could we come up with such a perverse way to make money. Is your mattress making noises it never used to? Or is it sagging, causing you to... Then it's time to get a new one. Get the best sleep at the best value with the Nectar mattress. Prices start at just $499, and you get $399 in accessories thrown in, a 365-night home trial, and a forever warranty. Go to Nectarsleep.com. Well, now since you mentioned that, let me ask you this. By, by omission, what you're saying, is it a fact that other countries, you said only America, that other countries... Things don't work that way. I mean, is is that does that not happen in other places where a private equity firm can buy an insurance policy like that? Is that is there regulation to prevent that elsewhere? Yes, I think we're uh, among the least regulated of advanced capitalist countries. And I think if you look to some of the European countries, certainly if you look to Scandinavia, capitalist countries all, you find uh, a much better balance uh, between public interest and private interest. I think you see some of the problems I write about in the book in these other capitalist countries as well, but to a lesser degree. Unfortunately, I think the growth, the financialization of the global economy is also proceeding apace in uh, Europe and other uh, advanced capitalist countries. And so we really need uh, a global approach to thinking about what would be a set of political and economic rules that would enable the world to be one that our children and grandchildren could have healthier lives than we do today? I, I want to, uh, there's so many topics, I, I can't do them all, but a couple more I do want to hear from you about. Um, changing capitalism, financialization, and the future of transportation. That's, that's an interesting topic. Talk to us about that, if you would. Sure. So I think there are a few consequences of the choices we've made about transportation in this country. And overwhelmingly, the choices we've made since World War II have been shaped by a variety of industries, the automobile industry, the uh, fossil fuel industry, and they have 
uh, encourage choices that uh, bring convenience to many people, but hardship to others. And uh, I talk about some of those hardships. One is the creation of what some people are calling transportation apartheid, where some people, uh, and it's primarily better off people and white people compared to lower income and black and Latino populations have access to mobility, can uh, move around easily, can travel to their work, can travel to get better food or better medical care, while other people where there's not access to mass transit who maybe can't afford a car are confined to living in often segregated communities, uh, places that don't have adequate access to employment, health care, uh, education, uh, and food. I think uh, looking to the next few decades, there's uh, the automobile industry has been talking a lot about electric cars in the last year and making commitments to developing electric cars. And there are health benefits of electric cars as compared to gasoline powered cars, but both are individually oriented. And I think in public health, if there's clear evidence on anything, it's on the benefits of mass transit you know, both in terms of reducing pollution and encouraging physical activity and making cities more livable. And many people living in cities would prefer more mass transit options, but we've underfunded mass transit. And what we see uh, that I write about in the book is that companies like Uber and Lyft have actually been looking to destroy public transit systems in the long term because they see that as market growth. And so they are looking to create ways for individuals to be able to use Uber and Lyft, individualized approaches rather than mass transit. And because of uh, opposition to increasing taxes on wealthy people or imposing congestion pricing, we don't have public funding for mass transit. So it's falling apart. So Uber and Lyft offer what seems to be a more attractive alternative. But the consequence is increasing climate change, increasingly unlivable cities, exactly the costs of an unfettered capitalism. And, and unlivable cities also, to the extent I think people are realizing more and more, their cities unlivable and uh, unnavigable, if that's a word, uh, <laughs> because of traffic congestion. You know, you think all these folks, you know, as we speak, folk are literally and somebody did a study once, I think, that said if you live in L.A., you spend more of your life in the car in traffic than you spend at work or at home. Um, and and the, the 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 interstates around Atlanta that way now. I grew up in Nashville. When I left Nashville in 1985, it wasn't the Nashville of today. You live in your car in the traffic in Nashville now. And none of these cities really saw the future or investment in mass transit. Um, you know, New York has all its problems, but, you know, thank God it has a system. Yeah. And if all these other cities had this system, it would make that difference in terms of what you're saying, climate change and everything else. Um, social connections. This is very interesting. And a lot of people are, are becoming more attuned to this. Extracting profit from human relations. Talk to us about that, if you would. Yes. Uh the uh, big tech industry, Google, Amazon, Microsoft, Facebook, have come up with a way of 
uh, extracting personal information through tracing our patterns as we buy from Amazon, as we search on Google, as we connect with friends on Facebook. They then sell information about our intimate personal lives to advertisers who use that information to target us for advertising. And in the book, I talk about how much of that targeted advertising uh, looks to sell unhealthy products, uh, fast food, alcohol, e-cigarettes, tobacco. And so Facebook, Amazon, Google, which present themselves as the face of the 21st century, are really uh, taking information to sell to advertisers who hurt us. In addition, uh, as we've seen uh, discussed recently, these big tech companies also uh, promote social conflict and polarization. They found that, uh, that uh, polarized messages get more clicks and more eyes and more likes than more uh, socially minded messages. And so they've promoted social conflict in ways that contributed uh, to the rise of uh, white nationalism, that contributed to the polarization of this country. And they didn't sit down and say, how can we polarize this country? What they sat down and said is, how can we maximize our profits? And their algorithms told us social conflict promotes profits. So that's the path they chose. Fortunately, I think there is a growing recognition that another trend I talk about in the book, which is monopolization, monopoly control by a handful of corporations, such as Google, Amazon, Microsoft, Apple, uh, diminishes the power of our democracy. And we need to reinstitute the antitrust and anti-monopoly rules that we created at the start of the 20th century, but then as the wealthy and powerful gained their political voice, they uh, uh, reduced the enforcement of those laws. So the time has come to revisit what an antitrust, anti-monopoly agenda for the 21st century might look like. Yeah, very, very well put. If I were a, a student in your class, your book in this conversation, and, and critique this if you don't mind, would in, in inspire me, just even from that last uh, point you made, to look into not only the, the changing face of capitalism, capitalism has always been with us. This is the latest iteration as you've articulated, but we're at a new era now of something altogether different that we've not seen quite like this before. And that's an era of disinformation. Uh, and, and would it be, you know, out of the question, um, if I were a student, anyone else to, to look at your book and then say, well, at, at this moment in time, in this moment in history, um, capitalism and this new capitalism and this exploitative, newly exploitative capitalism or this new, the new ways that it's exploiting others benefits from um, the, the, the wave, the great wave of disinformation that people are experiencing right now. Would that be out of the question? I think very much the disinformation campaign, some are intentional and uh, 
I think several uh, scholars have written about the disinformation campaigns of the fossil fuel industry, uh, Naomi Oreskes, uh, Naomi Klein, uh, David Michaels, uh, the disinformation campaigns of the tobacco industry. And now I think we see the same with the food industry uh, and also the alcohol industry. Uh, I think the most uh, pernicious uh, disinformation campaign is the campaign of the global multinational corporations and their trade associations and the foundations and intellectuals who support them. And the message they promote is there is no alternative to this toxic capitalism. It's the only way that we can organize our economy and our politics. And I find in, I do a lot of talking in my classes and public speaking in my writing that uh, many people find that my description of capitalism resonates with their day-to-day -day experience. Uh, but what they say is, but there's no alternative. You know, how could we possibly change this most powerful system? And this is where I get optimistic that this moment of the COVID pandemic, the economic uh, crisis, the uh, overwhelmingly negative impact, the racialized impact of the COVID pandemic, the Black Lives Matter movement, the climate emergency makes the claim that there is no better world or there is no alternative increasingly hard to believe. A poll a few years ago by Harvard University of 18 to 29-year-olds found that 51% of young people in that age group don't support capitalism. So I think there's a large interest in understanding capitalism more deeply and understanding alternatives to it. So from my teaching and my interactions uh, with students at City University of New York, I'm hopeful. I think many students uh, come to college now because they are dissatisfied, because they want to make a contribution to a better world. And it's our job, uh, those of us with uh, white hair, to extract the lessons from the last 50 years or longer to say, well, what have we learned about changing capitalism, about changing the rules, and how can we apply that in the uh, third decade of the 21st century? Fascinating. So lastly, what do we do? What are the alternatives? And how can we go about making them real? Sure. Critically important question. I think, uh, as I said, what makes me optimistic is I think for every problem that we're facing here in the United States and the world, there are uh, people working every day, millions of people to change that problem. The young people mobilized around the climate emergency, around gun violence, uh, Black Lives Matter, the people organizing Amazon workers and uh, fast food workers, uh, the black farmers reclaiming their land. Uh, and the problem has been that each of those movements has been somewhat separate. And the imperative for this next phase is to find the connecting points. I think uh, examples that I look to are the Green New Deal, which puts together uh, the climate emergency uh, and the jobs crisis. And I think we can also add food to that and say, how can we bring these things together? Those uh in powerful positions, uh, scoff at the ambitious ideas of the Green New Deal. But if you look at the public opinion polls, if you look 
at uh, young people, you see there's a lot of support for those ideas. If you look at some of the ideas being discussed in Washington now, uh, public support for early universal childcare, free community college, a minimum wage, uh, universal access to health care. Those are ideas supported by the majority of American people. And those are also public health initiatives that will help this country to become healthier. And so I think we need to bring together the people who are working separately on each of these laudable proposals and really look to make our voice in Washington and in our state capitals and in our communities as loud as now is the voice of those 1,000 corporations and their lobbyists. Those who say you explain capitalism in a way that people can relate it to their everyday lives, those who said that are absolutely correct. Um, I know we've all learned something today. Folks, uh, we invite you to check out the book. And there are other, we didn't cover every area. Um, we touched on others. There's, there's education. Many of us know about uh, private capital in, in our school systems. We've heard about it. He writes about that as well. Um, he also writes about the growth of, of low wage and uh, precar precarious labor. We've seen the assault on organized labor um, since the Reagan administration. Um, folks, we encourage you to take a look at this and see how this does affect your daily lives. And of course, um, um, it, we all know what social media does and, and how the corporations benefit from that. Uh, we need to think about that, too. I, you know, I've even said to people at different times, People think that it's just it's just as innocuous as, you know, we're posting pictures, sharing with our families and loved ones and friends. But it's a lot more to it uh, than that. Nothing is free. Um, so um, Dr. Freudenberg uh, takes us down that road as well. At what cost, ladies and gentlemen, is the book Modern Capitalism and the Future of Health? All these things affect our health. No point in fighting for universal health care. If everything on the front end we're confronted with is unhealthy and we're not doing anything about that on the front end, no point going to the doctor. I have access to go see the doctor. Let's get the access to end the unhealthy stuff that we eat and consume before we go to the doctor. Why not that? I think that would be helpful. Uh, so, Dr. Fortenberg, uh, we appreciate you, man. This is a great, very informative. Uh, and, and I feel just reading the book and hearing our conversation and being a part of our conversation, I feel optimistic and inspired it's always inspiring to hear facts and to contemplate solutions that's where it starts so we thank you so much thank you so much for having me it's a pleasure to talk likewise sir again folks the book out now uh at what cost brand new uh on on oxford press at what cost modern capitalism and the future of health thank you dr Fortenberg. thank you take care thanks for getting woke and listening to make it plain Please remember to listen, like, subscribe, and wherever you get your podcasts, please give the show a five-star rating. And please do spread the word. Let's all continue to pray for each other during this pandemic and this police-demic. If all hearts and minds are clear, it has been made plain. What's new in podcasting? Here's what we love, courtesy of Acast Recommends. Hi. 
I'm Vanessa Zoltan. And I'm Casper Kyle. And we have just launched a brand new podcast, The Real Question. Vanessa, you and I met in divinity school, which was a rather unexpected place for us to be. Yeah, neither of us are religious people, but just because we weren't religious didn't mean that we didn't care about life's quote-unquote big questions, right? How to be good, how to live well. And sometimes jumping into those big questions is kind of overwhelming. So this podcast is all about finding the seemingly little questions in our lives because those questions actually lead us to something deeper and more interesting. You might say... The Real Questions. So listen to The Real Question on the ACAST app or wherever you get your podcasts. ACAST recommends. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.